the Classic City Sports Podcast. And McAllister down the left field line. Connor Tate is going to round third. He will score. And rounding third is Blaylock. He will score. And the dogs walk it off. If you're looking for the latest Georgia Bulldog news in football, basketball, baseball, and recruiting, then you are in the right place. Then you are in the right place. It's third down. Bryce Young's career. You need 10. Play clock at four. From the pocket. Launching downfield. Underground and intercepted. Kaylee Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. Hosted by Jeremiah Stoddard and Jonathan Williams. Georgia on the mountaintop. Demons be gone and the drought is over. National champions at long last. Just sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for these hot takes you're about to listen to. All right, welcome back to another episode of Classic City Sports. If you're already early onto the show and you're listening, you just paid attention to the brand new podcast intro that we just got back this week, so we're excited about it. If you did miss it, go back and, and watch it once the show's over on YouTube, but it'll still be live on there as well, and just let us know what you think on there. But, yeah. Um, give me a minute. I've got like an echo going on for some reason, so I'm going to dip out and come back. All right. That's a good start to the episode right there. But uh, we're going to cover, once he's back, we're going to cover SEC Media Day discussions to kind of break down some of the comments that we got back from Kirby Smart uh, on his his time on the podium and a few little things that we saw from uh, Stetson and, and the other guys that were there as well today or just comments were all around that. We're bringing back a segment of talking season. It has been a lot of that going on right now, and Jonathan just joined back in. We'll see how it goes here. Uh, but like I said, we're going to bring back talking season this this week. It has been gone for a little while, but it's a perfect time to bring it back after all of the different comments that have been circulating this week through SEC Media Day uh, from other schools, coaches and players and, every, and media outlets, everything like that as well. And then, as always, going to rock with uh, King of the Hill. And we're going to see how that goes today. Jonathan just told me the, the topic before we came on the show, and I had to kind of figure out what I was going to say. I think I have what I need to do going today. He kind of surprised me with it. But as always, Jeremiah Stoddard along with Jonathan Williams, and we're ready to just get rocking and rolling. How are you feeling today, Jonathan? Good. Uh, I realized that my dumb self had the YouTube live feed pulled up and the stream. <laughs> so it seemed like there was an echo. Really, I was just being stupid and just didn't realize what was going on. But other than that, doing great. Always good to listen in on the head man himself, Kirby Smart, talk about what's going on in the football program. And media days are always a little interesting because you get to learn a lot about different people. Like, for instance, today we learned that Nolan Smith is a jokester, gave Kirby Smart some hair dye for a Christmas gift this past year because he's getting a little gray up there. You know, it's kind of, it's a stressful job being a head football coach. And, and so he pulled a prank. And then just recently, I learned that Kentucky's quarterback, Will Levis, puts mayonnaise in his coffee. Mayonnaise. What? There is a there is a literal video of him saying, "I like to put mayonnaise in my coffee," and he puts the mayonnaise in his coffee and drinks it. 
Yeah. Uh, so takes a special kind of person. I don't, I don't understand it. I'm not going to test it. I'm not going to be a guy to go dipping into that, you know, whatever type of deal that is. Um, but yeah, so learned that about Will Levs today, but of course you also learn a lot about Georgia football. Kirby Smart had a lot to say. And then of course you also have Nolan Smith, Stetson Bennett and Cedric Van Prand off to sides doing their little interviews and things like that. But we, there's a lot of things that Kirby Smart said, and there's a lot of things that we're going to dip into, and it's going to be packed in. So we're just going to get it rolling. We're kind of kind of hit, just fire them off real quick, talk about them, because we want to make sure that we get through all of this in a short amount of time. So the first one, and this one was probably the biggest comment in my opinion. A lot of people are going to say the um, the one about Georgia's not going to be hunted is probably the biggest one. But to me, and I think you agree with this as well, Stoddard, is the part where he said Stetson is the least respected good player in the country. Not just the SEC, yep. but in the country of, of the entire world of college football, Stetson is the least respected player. So, what are your thoughts on that, Jeremiah? What did you think when Kirby Smart that fired that off today? Yeah, it's it stood out immediately as soon as he said that because you and I were like we were both watching and, and texting and stuff about some of the stuff we were seeing, and as soon as he said it, that was exactly what I text you. I just text you verbatim what he said and sent it, and I was like, that. And you tweeted this earlier. And it was perfect for it because the amount of support that Kirby Smart has publicly brought to Stetson Bennett has been insane over the last couple of months. And that's exactly what you need to be seeing right now. It's a new uh, a new just vibe in the locker room when we're going into the season knowing exactly who the starting quarterback is without a question. There's nothing that we're, you know, there's no surprises expected on that. Like we're not going, hey, are they going to battle it out? Who's going to end up being the opening day starter? All that kind of stuff. No, we know who it's going to be. And Kirby has made that very clear since before G-Day. He he made it clear before G-Day. Why is that significant? It's significant because now Stetson Bennett knows that he he has that extra confidence boost going into the season saying, hey, the big man's got my back. He, he's he's defending me publicly without like having an argument with somebody, but he just keeps making these comments out there to, to basically reiterate that I'm the starting quarterback. And so he can go into it with a little bit more comfortable kind of feeling and emotion going into it. Now he's got to keep his, you know, keep grinding because he's got people behind him that if he slips up they're they're waiting. There's some very talented guys on the roster, but it, I loved it. I, the fact that he made sure to say that he's not wrong he is the most disres- honestly disrespected, you know, good player in college football because everyone just assumes he shouldn't be starting. There's other guys that were high-rated recruits out of out of high school and they should be starting ahead of him. That was a huge comment for me. Yeah, and there's not another time since Kirby Smart took over as head coach at the University of Georgia where he has publicly came out in the offseason. Nevertheless, he hasn't even done this usually during game weeks. You know, it's always like QB spot is always kind of up in the air. If you ask mm-hmm. Kirby Smart about who's the starting quarterback this week, he will tell you, like, we're evaluating our options. We're letting the guys go to practice. You'll find it's a game time decision. It's typically always what he tells you. Like, even back when Jake Fromm, everybody knew Jake Fromm was going to be the starter in 2019. You didn't have anybody else. But even in the offseason, you never heard Kirby Smart say, Jake Fromm is our guy. Jake Fromm is our quarterback. At least not to the level that he has done with Stetson this season. It seems like every time you get the man in front of a microphone, he is using the phrase, Stetson Bennett is our quarterback. He's not even saying he's my quarterback. He's Todd Munkin's quarterback. He is our. He is his program. He is his team's quarterback. And it's because it's something else that Kirby Smart always touches on is that 
Stetson has gotten his teammates to believe in him. He has gotten them to commit to him. Everybody sees Stetson as a valuable leader of this football team. Everybody has bought in and sees Stetson as the guy of this football program, someone that is going to be leading this offense throughout the entire season. That's how everybody views him because he has gained that trust with them. He has done the work. He has put in the work at practice to get to that point of his career. And I think that's what Kirby Smart is trying to emphasize is – don't get it twisted. Don't think that we're just putting him out there because I have some type of vendetta against somebody or I just ha- have feelings for Stetson as a player or whatnot. That's not how that's not the case. It's because he earned it. He did everything that was necessary and everything that we asked of him to get to this point and to get to this um to earn that starting job. And I think that's really what he was getting to. Another interesting yeah. comment that um Kirby Smart pointed out is um he talked a little bit about NIL, of course. That's just the talk of college football right now. And more specifically, he said that they have 95 players on their roster right now that have NIL deals. And to put that into perspective, there's 85 scholarship players on a roster. 95 of them have yep. NIL deals. So what does that tell you? It means that there's walk-ons that have NIL deals in place for them to be paid right now. So that's huge. I, you know, and it kind of stood out to me because in the same conversation about NIL stuff, right? Like he's sitting here talking about how important it is for those for some of those kids, especially the walk-ons, right? The ones that aren't on scholarship for them to make a little bit of money off of their name and be able to help family members at home. Uh, he talked about, you know, somebody maybe in South Georgia with their grand or their father on dialysis or something. They're helping with that kind of stuff. He made a couple of comparisons and used that, but then he proceeds in the conversation about NIL or maybe he said it before he said that, but he talked about how bad NIL is in recruiting and how it's not good for anybody involved. But then he's, he goes on to explain why it, NIL overall is still good, right? 95 of the players on Georgia's roster, like you said, 10 more than scholarship numbers that are on the roster. So yeah, it's doing what it's supposed to do it at Georgia. And he continues to go out there and say, hey, I'm not going to get in a bidding war for you in during the you know recruiting process but what i am doing right now this is he says stuff intentionally he does this on purpose he makes that comment right but then he follows that up by saying hey 95 guys on the roster have nil deals come here i'll get you an nil deal i'm just not going to sit here and promise you three million dollars from joe's car shop over here or something like that to get you to come to the school i'm not going to do that and so that i think he's that was a very big power statement that he did today. I think that was another really big one along with the Stetson comment, obviously. I think it's really interesting that Kirby Smart throws that out along with the story about a player paying for the situation of his grandfather back home to pay for his health bills or whatever else to make that situation better. And then also in the same time, I'm not saying that these that this was intentional, that this was released during SEC media days. But the Classic City Collective, which is the NIL collective that the University of Georgia has started for players or people, me, you, anybody listening can make donations to the NIL collective for the University of Georgia. But they partnered recently with Truist Bank. And the reasoning for this is that they wanted to provide financial education for players to know ways to spend their money, ways to save their money, and ways to create longevity with their financials and the money that they're earning now with their NIL money in college. So... I think with Kirby Smart's comment about saying we have 95 players that are receiving NIL deals and then everything else that he, Nick Saban, or anybody not named Jim, Jimbo Fisher has said about NIL is that they're trying to show NIL is good and it can't and it is good if you use it in the right way, though. And they're showing like this is what we're doing with NIL because that's how they see the NIL should be used. And they're 
doing it in a way where it's not blatantly just throwing shade at Texas A&M. And they're doing it in a way where it's not throwing shade at schools like Texas. They're just throwing dollar signs at every single recruit, getting in bidding awards, throwing loads amount of money at these guys. Or um, so at least that's what the streets are saying right now. Not Nothing that that's confirmed or not, but that's what the people are saying, right? That's what they're saying about Jimbo Fisher and those other programs. But Georgia's trying to kind of set the standard, or at least Kirby Smart is, or provide the people with data like that, like they provided, like what Nick Saban provided, saying that they have $3 million in NIL with their players from this last season. And so I think they're really just trying to push it, saying like, NIL is great. We just got to kind of take the right steps. This is what it should like. This is how we want it to look like. So that's kind of where I think those comments were directed towards and why I think that was of high value of why he – uh, brought that to attention during his time in front of the podium. Next one, the one everybody talked about on Twitter, the one that got everybody fired up, the typical comment that everybody was waiting for. Kirby Smart is so good about one-liners. You know, the one from last season, if you watched Year of the Dog, was that we're not just practicing to beat somebody, we're practicing to beat everybody. Mm, so good. Kirby Smart is so good with his one-liners. And today, he provides this one. Georgia is not being hunted. We are doing the hunting. And this is talking about someone saying, how does it feel to be hunted now that you've won a national championship? Because everybody's always chasing the guy that's recently off a championship. Everybody wants to knock him down the pedestal, knock him down the totem pole. And that's what Kirby Smart fired back with. And it's uh, to me, it was just Kirby Smart to a T, in my opinion. Yeah, we're not going to be hunted. We're going to be doing the hunted or hunting. And that's 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 a big one, you know. That's a, that's a that's a big line right there from him, and um, yeah, I, I, he definitely has those one liners just locked and loaded, ready to go. And uh, I, I think that's that's exactly what you want to hear from your head coach, right? Like he he's sitting here saying, "Hey, we're not going to be complacent with what's going on, you know. By winning, we're not going to sit here and be at the front of the pack and let everybody chase us down and catch up to us and everything like that." He's saying, "Hey." We're going to still lead like we're, we're, we're doing the hunting of other people. We're going to say these people are in front of us still, because guess what? As far as think about like the ratings and stuff, George is not going to start out as AP number one. You know, they're not. So they're going to technically be hunting that spot still. So they are not going to be complacent with it at this point. And that's a beautiful statement. Complacent. Someone else was also listening to Kirby Smart today because he used the word complacency a lot today as well. And I think also this next line that he used or this next quote that he provided us kind of ties into this thing about we're not going to be hunted because he goes on to say that someone asked about the coaching staff because you lost Dan Lanning, you lost Cortez Hankton, you lost Matt Luke, and you lost Jamal Adai. So that's a, that's, those are some big names to lose in one offseason. Those are some big position coaches to also lose in a singular offseason. But Kirby Smart went on to say that he thinks that this is the best coaching staff that he's had since his time at Georgia. The best. Out of all, this, all, all previous six years, this is the best coaching staff that he has ever had. And the reason why I say that kind of ties into his um, we're not going to be hunted statement is because he also went on to say that one reason why he believes that this is the best coaching staff that he's had is because they have coaches on this staff that understand what it takes to uh, what it what is expected of you after winning a national championship. They have been in those positions before on teams that have won a national championship and they understand how to coach a program back up. You don't get complacent, as Kirby said, but you keep it rolling. You keep the ball rolling. You keep the expectations high and you still hold each other accountable. He And one person he pinpointed specifically was Will Muschamp. 
And he said, it's, it's, he's been a great asset because it's always good to have someone who has been in my seat before is what coach smart said. So I think all of that kind of ties in together about we're not going to be hunted because we have a coaching staff that understands where we are at and what is needed of them. Yeah. And uh, SSL in the comments, thank you for this. This is a big one for me too, as far as going back a little to the, the one-liner stuff. He said, this team hasn't done anything yet. They have it. This team hasn't done anything yet. That coaching staff that you're mentioning right now is going to make them do something now, right? And I think that was a pretty big statement for him too, talking about his this being, you know, his best coaching staff and and he did just lose Dan Lanning but like you just mentioned he made sure to bring up Will Muschamp and that's that's a huge gap fill right there right like you use Dan Lanning who has been giving you the best defense Georgia has had like which obviously Kirby has a big big part of that and and other people on the you know coaching staff at position players uh coaching uh all of those guys have played a role in it, but losing your defensive coordinator is a huge deal when your defense has been that big, unless you can plug in somebody like Will Muschamp, who arguably has one of the other best defensive minds in college football, like Kirby Smart does, and head coaching experience. Like all of a sudden, you don't lose anything at that position or at that at that coaching position. You've just like they do with everybody else in every other position on the roster, like players, just reload. You're not losing players and restarting or rebuilding. You're reloading. He reloads at coaching positions. Every time he loses one of his staffers, he reloads at that position with somebody that can make an argument for either they're on a a tear and becoming somebody like Dan Lanning, right, who was on the roster or on the coaching staff for a while before he took over as the, the defensive coordinator, or somebody that's already established themselves as well, like Searles, who just came on for Georgia, offensive line coach, like that kind of stuff. He, he's doing an elite job at recruiting coaches to Georgia as well as those players. Oh, 100%. And then even what SSL is putting in the comments as well. Not only are you did you lose Dan Lanning, but you paired up your next defensive coordinator along with Will Muschamp, and you combine them with as co-defensive coordinators. So you have a guy that's been in that spot before, who's been in those shoes, who understands what is ex- what an elite defense looks like and has experience as a defensive coordinator. And then you add in Glenn Schumann, who has already proved himself for the most part. Everybody knows what Glenn Schumann is capable of, but he hasn't reached that point of being a defensive coordinator. So now he's learning from one of the best to ever do it as a defensive coordinator in today's game. And he's learning himself as well. So if Will Muschamp ever does say, hey, I'm going to test it out somewhere else. I got some guys calling me, maybe a potential head coaching job then Glenn Schumann is right where he needs to be. And there isn't this point where Glenn Schumann's on his own kind of figuring things out a little bit. And on top of that, he's got Kirby Smart as his head coach, who also has been a really good defensive coordinator as well. So he's got two guys that he's been learning from and is learning from still to where he can eventually go on his own, either at Georgia or somewhere else, and take that next step. And I think that's why Kirby Smart's head coaching tree has evolved so quickly and why it's already so successful. Because you have Mel Tucker, who's being successful at Michigan State. You have Shane Beamer, which I know some people say maybe shouldn't count for Georgia, but nevertheless, he was at some point on Kirby Smart's staff. He's the head coach over at South Carolina. Now you got Dan Lanning over in Oregon, who's poised to probably do some pretty good things over at Pac- in the Pac-12 as well. So, yeah, everybody talks about how he recruits, how he reloads, but I don't know that there's enough discussion about how he treats his staff and how he continues to evolve and the job he's done at hiring within at times as well, keeping it within, not necessarily going out and hiring. He does that when he needs to, but he's also done a good job of where he doesn't have to miss a beat. He just brings the next guy up from within his own staff and you're still rolling with it. No beats missed. 
No, so now, exactly. That's yeah. that's worked very well for him. Last comment on that's worked very well for him. He's learned that he can promote from within. What that does is when you have a young guy like Dan Lanning, when he got to take over, he knew the system. He had already learned Kirby's way, right? Like so he wasn't coming from an external candidate who wanted to do things their way. He was built in that system to run Kirby's defense. And that's what he wants. And that's exactly that's proven a proven method for Kirby. 100%. Now, along with what Kirby Smart said, throughout the week, there's been tons of coaches that have gone up to the podium themselves, rambled off whatever coach speak they needed to. Or if you're Clark Lee, you ramble off a bunch <laughs> of words that nobody understands and nobody understands the point you're trying to get across. And then Clark Lee also throws in this line, and I'm not going to hate on the guy for this, but he said, we know in time Vanderbilt football will be the best program in the country. Like, I guess you got to say something about your program. I guess you got to put some positive vibes out there for yourself because there's not a lot of good surrounding Vanderbilt football right now. So, I mean, I don't know. What are you supposed to say? Like, we're, we're just going to be mediocre. That's what I'm yeah, expected to do exactly. here. I'm just going to. So you got to kind of say something. But at the same time, I don't know if you had to take it that far. I think he could have just stuck with like, we're going to be competitive in the East eventually. I think he could have stuck with that and you would have been good. But to say you're going to be the best program in the country. I don't know where he's been, if he's been living under a rock or not, but hey, man. that ain't Vanderbilt football. <laughs> hey, if your goals don't seem too lofty or people don't laugh at your goals, then you didn't set your goal high enough, right? So he set the right goal. Just maybe don't come out to the media and say that goal publicly. Yeah, maybe keep that in the locker room, man. When you haven't coached the game at Vanderbilt yet and you're about to get absolutely like skull dragged by everybody. 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 I'm not like... Just everybody is going to drag you. So, yeah, we're going to sit here and laugh at it right now. And and honestly, I, I hope he's right. Like, I do because I want some of these teams. Like, it, Vanderbilt's been a bottom feeder for so long that, like, I, I don't remember a time where they were, a, like, a winning program. Like, I don't. James Franklin is the last time that they had really any relevancy to themselves. That's, I mean. Was that back the, when? That's um, it. Well, like Jordan Rogers was there, like back in those days. I that mm-hmm. was like the early like two thousand tens, like two thousand eleven, two thousand ten. Yeah, that still didn't even back then. I, I still remember going well. to a game. Yeah, is that, I still remember going a, to a game you, back then and getting mm-hmm. skull dragged by Georgia yeah. at home. So, mm-hmm. but that's also been their problem is that even when they do get their James Franklin. They're just kind of used as a stepping stone because nobody wants to stick around and put in the work at Vanderbilt. James Franklin wants to go on to Penn State or wherever else and continue to evolve their head coaching tree, their head coaching experience. They do have some pretty darn good (laughs) academics. They do have that going for them, and they do have a pretty daggum good baseball team every year for the most part. They're competitive in baseball. Yeah, they won a national championship a couple years ago. Like They they have that going for them. Just in football, I just want – I would love for it. And, you know, one of the things – uh, I got. I was kind of talking to somebody on social media the other day, and somebody it was a Clemson fan that actually decided to say something about like they talked bad about like the SEC East. Some nerve from a team that a comes Clemson from the ACC. fan was talking bad about yeah. division. Yeah, they were talking about it, and then I used I like in my reference to this and like my conversation with this guy. I won't call it an argument because he didn't even respond to me. Other people did. He didn't respond to me. Uh, was like, I mean, you're the best side of your conference of the ACC is the coastal and no, the Atlantic, I think it was the Atlantic, the side that, that Clemson's on. And that side is barely better than the East in general, like top to bottom. It was, it was a little, if you look at overall ratings, it was better than the SEC East, 
except the fact that, you know, the SEC East produced a national championship winning team. There's that. Uh, but then if you looked at the other side, which is the coastal side of it, they had two teams that were over 500. I mean, two teams over 500. Let's not talk about other teams. So with that, I, I, I admitted on the com, uh, on the conversation that, you know, the SEC East could use some strengthening up. It, it could. It seems like Vanderbilt have to start winning something. They have to start at least becoming bowl eligible. They cannot sit here and win two games a year and do that every single year. That That's not good for the conference. It's just not. Well, the good news is that there are two teams in the SEC East now that are kind of on the come up. They've been doing some positive things. looks like they're on the upward trend right now. And those two programs would be Tennessee and South Carolina. And we talked about it earlier that Georgia's going to kind of be hunted, even though Kirby Smart said they're not going to be hunted. They are going to be a little bit just because that's the nature of college football. Everybody wants to beat the man. Georgia right now is the man of college football. But with that also starts this thing where media members want to put out their hot takes and they want to be the first guy to the punch to say that Tennessee is going to beat Georgia this year, which is what Connor O'Gara, I hope I said that right, from Saturday Down South said this week at SEC Media Days, or at least this week is what he said, that Tennessee is going to beat Georgia this year. Now, I will no, say, Tennessee I or do South think, Carolina. This is Tennessee. This was the first one. There is a Tequio okay. Spikes also said that South Carolina. Okay, will sorry, upset I messed Georgia that up. Yeah. We'll just combine them. Both of them said that yeah, South Carolina is going to upset Georgia and Athens, and that um, Tennessee is going to upset Georgia this year as well. Now, I have been pretty high on Tennessee going into this year. I do think they have a pretty successful season. I'm a big Henry Hooker guy, um, and I like Tillman as well, but. I just don't know if they're the complete team to beat a team like Georgia or even Alabama. Me and you have talked about it before already because we're kind of getting in the yep. mode of where we want to put our projections like we will later on this year. There's a little content tease for you. But just don't know if they're the complete team yet to where they can compete with those top-tier teams in the SEC. I think that all the other games, that they'll be fine in. They can at least – um, handle them, or it'll be close, or whatnot. But I think when you get in, when you start throwing in Georgia and Alabama, I just don't know. I don't see it just yet. And maybe they prove me wrong. Maybe they do somehow. I don't know. With a high-powered offense that they have, anything is possible. I guess any given Saturday, as it is. Kirby Smart said today, "You're one week away from humility in this conference." Another coach speak line for That's you. True. But um, so no, Dean. I'm pretty sure I said I'm a big Hendon Hooker guy. You got to listen carefully over here. Um, so, but th- then again, I don't see why. I, I mean, I get why people want to be the guy that whenever it happens, they want to say, Oh, this guy back in um, July said, called it that South Carolina would upset Georgia. I just don't see, yeah. and I don't know why you have to go that far. But again, I guess it's, it provides content for us. We're over here talking about it. We're over here giving yeah, it attention. So I guess I did something say what right. You say. Yeah, say what you want to say. It is, in fact, talking season which is why we're having this little segment right now it's talking season it's about time to strap on those helmets though talking season's almost almost coming to a close as we're going through sec media day and then we're just around the corner of the actual season at this point what like five or six six weeks maybe something like that i don't have the exact number but just you know a little bit of time away from the actual season getting up and going uh so you you can only say these things for a little bit longer before you actually have to strap up those chin straps and line up across from Georgia and see what you can actually do. But yeah, I, I'm on the same page with you. With, like you said, we've talked about this and uh, Tennessee, Tennessee has a, a chance to be, uh, they have a chance to be top 
two, you know, teams in the SEC East at this, you know, this season. They they do have the ability to do that this year. They have some tough games on their schedule though. They and they, they have, have a, a tough, gauntlet, man. They have a My gauntlet. Goodness. They have to play Georgia, Bama, and Kentucky within four weeks, I think. Florida like as that. well. Florida. So maybe it's within five weeks they play all four of those teams. It's going to be a tough stretch for them. Yeah, Florida's not going to be that oh, great. Oh, and LSU. they got to play LSU in the mix as well. Yeah. So, oh, they have to it, play. They have, their schedule Their schedule's going to be kind of tough, but I do expect them to have a good year. And like you said, you know, with a high-powered offense like that, any given Saturday, you know, you're a week away from humility every time, right? That's that's the whole thing. How how well did that serve them last year? They had a high-powered offense last year. They were out here scoring 40 points a game, all that good stuff. And they're Georgia one of the hottest them. teams in college football heading into yeah. the matchup against Georgia. And they lost, what, by like 30? I don't know, something like that. Yeah. They like, got, the game got out of hand in the, in the second know. half. Yeah, it, it just – they took it away, and and that's kind of what I expected to happen in that game. Georgia didn't let them run that offense that they like to, or they weren't successfully running that offense. They tried to go so fast and so you know quick to, to where you can't get set and everything. That doesn't work if you go three and out. Nope. It, it just makes your drive super quick, and then all of a sudden your defense is back out on the field. They're getting tired going up against Georgia's good offense, and all of a sudden you're down by 25 points, and it just kind of hits you out of nowhere. They don't have they're they are not exactly built to beat Georgia right now. Having just having a good offense isn't going to necessarily be able to be all you need. You're gonna to have to have some type of defense, especially with Georgia's offense this year, that I expect and you expect to score 40 points a game. You know, it, it's gonna be you're gonna need some defense to be able to do that. You're not gonna be able to just come in there and expect to score 50 because you're you're not doing that on Georgia's defense in the first place. So yeah, I, I just Making comments like that at this point in time in the season, good for you. If something like that happens, you get to go, hey, here's a clip of where I said this back in July. Most likely you're going to try to have that clip buried by the time that game comes around because it's not going to end well. Yeah, and I I guess I could technically see – I said this earlier and it was a mistake. I said that South Carolina would be coming to Athens. That is not true. That game will be in Columbia. So um, I guess I kind of could see some merit to that one. Hot – and you got that stupid chicken crowing in the stand all the time, entering it's into a sandstorm. Game. Yeah. Oh God, don't even remind me. Wouldn't even it's bother going game. to that game. That sounds miserable. But yeah. so I could kind of see that one. I'm a big Shane Beamer guy. I love Shane Beamer. I, I like, like what Shane he's done Beamer. so far at South Carolina. He's a really likable dude. I don't care what you say. That video he put out this week was super hype. <laughs> I was all here for it. He was just embracing who he was. He didn't try to be anybody else. He wasn't trying to rock the Dabo. Um, painted hair stuff that we talked about in our Twitter spaces last week. (laughs) He was just being him. He was being within himself while still having some fun, getting his full players hype and pushing out some fire content. So I could kind I could more see the South Carolina one than I could the Tennessee one, just because Tennessee is going to be coming in Athens, one of the bigger home games for Georgia this year. So people are going to be jacked up for that one. Hopefully, They'll get a better time slot than they will for the South Carolina game, but we shall see. Georgia has not been very favorable with um, with getting better uh, TV time slots in the past year. What you could do is, I don't know what week it is and who else is playing in the SEC and stuff like that as far as time slots, but that's a game that you could see CBS trying to pick up, Tennessee versus Georgia at 3.30 kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I could see that being your 3.30 game. If they don't pick that up, you're looking at like a 7 o'clock ESPN game, I think, genuinely, because – I, I do expect Tennessee to be decent this year, like which once again is good for the SEC and good for the SEC East. 
they just won't beat Georgia. And so it, it's not going to matter, but they will be better and they will be able to cross that, you know, I won't say a number of wins and stuff yet. I'm going to hold that for our actual. Another content well. tease. You'll have to come back for that one yeah. in a few weeks when we release it. So, but I'll close but, with this yeah. as well. Um, just for um, before we head into King of the Hill, which I know everybody's excited for. One thing I was surprised about, and it kind of irritates me to say, a little, maybe not irritate. It was a bit of a shock to find myself at this point today. But I was listening to Billy Napier's uh, press conference today at SEC Media Day. And I was listening to the things he said, and I was listening to the things that he was talking about his program, how he views things, was giving some opinions about Georgia and Kirby Smart. And the more I listened, the more I started to like the guy. And that's a weird place to be because in years past, what has Florida head coaches been? Been Dan Mullen, who wow. nobody liked, always stuck wow. his foot in his mouth, was always rubbing people the wrong way. You had Will Muschamp, who Georgia fans are great to have right now. But he also kind of rubbed some folks the wrong way during his time um, at Florida. He was a fiery was head really, coach. I'll say that. He, he was, was fiery. And then was. you also had Urban Meyer, who, again, nobody likes. If you weren't an Ohio State fan or a Florida fan, you have nothing good to say about Urban Meyer. Or you really shouldn't have anything good to say about him now either after what happened in Jacksonville. But now you got Billy Napier, who's this really level-headed guy who has a lot of good things to say about Kirby Smart, and he had a lot of good things to say about the Georgia football program. He even went on to say that he was happy to see Stetson Bennett playing for the Georgia Bulldogs because he recruited him back when he was at he Louisiana did. Lafayette with the Raging Cajuns. Love that the mascot Raging name. Cajuns. Gosh, freaking love That it. is a good mascot name. That is so top tier. I'm interested to see how this continues, to kind of see how – Georgia fans start to treat Billy Napier if they kind of do just come after him for everything that he does like they did with Dan Mullen because anything and everything that Dan Mullen said it was just an absolute show on Twitter Georgia fans were getting in after it Florida fans were going to be coming in defending him memes were hilarious so I'm interested to see how it is but for now I'm saying that I'm, I'm a bit of a fan of Billy Napier as a coach I'm a bit of a fan of the way what he's doing right now and just the way he carries himself it's kind of a breath of fresh air to see someone like that down at Florida now yeah, it is. It's it's been weird, right? So today I've been same thing. I've been on my Twitter timeline, and I've seen several people, Georgia, you know, fans and and podcast people and all that kind of stuff, sitting here going, "I don't like this because like I kind of like the guy. You do like and, it. You do like it because <laughs> I like him. So I don't like this. Like it feels uncomfortable, and it's not a normal sensation to have about a Florida head coach. Like it's just usually you're gonna hate the guy and for good reason. Like Dan Mullen was a clown. He really was. Every time he stepped up to a podium, he said something stupid every single time, or he came out after his team got in a fight on the field and everybody was getting in trouble. He comes out wearing a Darth Vader helmet and trying to make jokes. Like after his team just honestly just was a joke. Like everything about him was a joke. And yeah, it's just different with Napier. It's just going to be a different vibe. And I think Georgia fans are going to take it easier on him because I don't see him coming to the podium saying stuff like that or, or yeah. making those crazy comments and rubbing the Georgia fans the wrong way, the same way that Dan Mullen or those other guys did. So I don't, I think he, he might be one of those guys that just doesn't really bother anybody and just kind of is there. Like he's just the head coach over there and you're just. I don't think he'll be on the same level that like Shane Beamer is where like you and I will sit here and go, yeah, I like that guy. I still like that guy. You know, just after he gets, he gets beat pretty bad against Georgia and he comes out and going, I mean, yeah, they're not running anything crazy. They just have a hundred five stars out there and it's just like stuff keeps like it that, real, like, man. He's a real dude. He just keeps it real. He's not making I love, excuses. I love he's that. not. Yeah. Like it's just, he's just shooting, you know, shooting you straight. And I think that's the same type of guy that you're going to get in Napier. 
I, I genuinely do. And that's a breath of fresh air. It should be nice to see that going into a Georgia Florida game. Now that week, I will absolutely hate him. You know, you, oh, you got to 100%. Florida hate week. All things you get two weeks to, to hate him. Yeah, you get two weeks to hate him. Yeah, I, I'll find a, I'll find a way to hate him before that game comes around on there. And um, actually, good point. Uh, SSL, I'm going back a little bit because I just saw your comment about because I was saying something about Tennessee and Georgia potentially being a CBS game. Uh, Alabama, Alabama LSU, same week. Alabama LSU probably gets that. that that's going to probably be your SEC yeah. night game, and then you probably still get Georgia versus Tennessee at 3:30. They, they, that, that might be their doubleheader week. Then, that's I could see that happening. Say so you could do the doubleheader if they do sometimes, but. Um, yeah, so that's going to wrap it up for everything SEC media. There was a lot that we had to cover. There's a lot said, good and bad, or whatever you want to call it, however you want to label it. But there's a lot of takes thrown out there. There's a lot of things talked about of the Georgia football program, a lot of good things that Kirby Smart had to say, and even good things that Nolan Smith, Stetson Bennett, and Cedric Van Pran had to say as well. But we don't have time to touch on that, but we do have time for is King of the Hill. And I kind of held Jeremiah out on this one for the most – actually, all of the week. I sent him a text, I think, on Monday or something like that when I came up with this idea for King of the Hill. But I told him, I'm not telling you yet. I'm going to kind of keep this one a surprise. And so with that being said, I did tell him before the show, though. I didn't leave, hang him out to dry, so he didn't have any idea what to say or form, wasn't able to form an opinion. I did tell him before the show. And today's topic is, what is the hardest sport to go pro in? I have my side. I'm here to listen to yours or whatever you have to say, Jeremiah. All right. I get to go first. That's good because I don't I don't know if you're going to say the same thing or not. So I'd go with – I would say the hardest sport to actually be on a pro roster, right, an active member of a pro roster would be the MLB. And the reason for that is there are 750 spots on MLB rosters. you got 25 per 30 teams, right? So that's 750 total spots. Do you know how many players were drafted this year, this week? Tons of them. 620. It, well, it used to be 40 round draft, didn't it? I'm pretty sure it used to be a 40 I think it was longer, but there's there's 20 rounds, uh, but there's a lot of compensary like picks and stuff like that. Uh, like this, the okay, first hold on, round, pause, pause. Dean, yes, clarification. Minor league and G League does not count. You have to be count. on the professional sports yeah, team major roster. League. So yes. you can't be on the Mississippi Braves. You can't be on nope. the Gwinnett Stripers. You have to be on Atlanta's roster. You have to climb all the way up through the minors or the G League or whatever sport you're in. You have to make it all the way. We're not just making saying you get drafted and you're classified as a pro athlete. Nah, that ain't how it works. So, but and go that's, back to your point. But with that being said, that that exact clarification on there is why it's it's baseball for me because you see, like I said, there's only 750 spots on the 25 man roster, and no, I'm not including when it goes up to a 40 man for like a couple of weeks. That doesn't count. That's the if that's the player's first call up, um, that's great for him. But if he doesn't come back up the next season during regular season, it doesn't really count. It, it just really like yeah, you got to play in the majors, but you're not like a major league baseball player at that point, in my opinion. That's not a shot against them. That's just they haven't earned a roster spot on that 25-man roster yet. And when you draft 600 players in a single year, I think there's like 120 minor league teams or something like that. There's there's so many. And you got to climb up through. There's rookie ball. There's single A, like single A, double A, and triple A that you have to be able to climb your way all the way up. And it, it's just – it's insane how difficult it is to get up to that spot. At, <clears throat> at least with football, 
they don't draft near as many people yet. And there's more players on each actual roster. NFL rosters have 50, what, 52 is like the final um, for the season. So there's 52 spots, 32 teams or something like that. And it's all you get drafted. You're, you know, as long as you get through minicamp and, and, you know, you make the cut, then you're on the, the professional roster. Um, but yeah, baseball has got to be it for me just because of how many steps you have to go after being drafted. Like you get drafted and that does not mean you're a professional athlete, like a major league baseball player yet. So first off, shocked that you picked baseball. J- Jeremiah picking baseball for one of these arguments. Color me shocked. Seems like every time we have like the sports debate, you pick baseball. But am I, I wrong I did, about that though? That, like, okay, no, no, no. Let me let me let me clarify okay. real quick. All right. I picked baseball originally. I was set on baseball, actually. You you knew I was. And of course, say it, SSL again. Color me shocked on this. SSL is out here saying racing. I don't know anything about racing, so I'm not going to touch that territory. Not yeah, even going to say SSL is wrong. That. He probably he probably is right in a sense. I I definitely couldn't go out there and do what they do. That has to be insanely hard. I don't even know how it works to climb up the ranks of NASCAR. Yeah. So he probably is right in his own stance to say that NASCAR is correct, but I don't know nothing about it. So I'm not going to sit here and argue about it. Like I know something about it, but I actually lean more towards basketball now. And while you are correct about, I, I was, I was saying the exact same things you were because I was talking about how you have to go up through the minor leagues. You have to go up, <laughs> he said sport. Dean, Dean just took a shot. <laughs> Dean just took a shot in the comments right there. Um, but you That's have to climb savage. up through the minor leagues, and that is a difficult process. I was trying to explain to someone the other day, like just how difficult it is to go from single A ball all the way up to the major league roster. Yeah. I just saw something the same- today too about single A. There's a guy that was in single A. He made eleven thousand dollars last year. That's also how much they're making. At that level. That's another so. conversation. That's another conversation. But I'm just saying, Gosh. I just figured I would throw that in there while we're yeah, talking about absolutely. minor leagues. Um, but at the same time, I could use minor league against you in a sense to say that it gives more people a chance to at least have an opportunity to make a professional sports roster. Like tons of people get drafted. All those people have an opportunity, the chance to make one of the MLB rosters. Whereas for basketball, which is the side that I'm on, I think basketball is the hardest sport to go pro in. And here's why. There are two rounds in the NBA draft, 30 teams total. So that's 60 players chosen in the NBA draft. Now, of course, there also is free agent signed afterwards. And there's also the G League. But at the same time, there's only there's a maximum of 15 spots on an NBA roster, which means that there is only a total of 450 players in the, M- uh, in the NBA on a roster. What was the number for the MLB? Like 750? 750. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's my point of saying that there's just less opportunity. There's less spots sure. for a guy to make a roster in the NBA. And the G League also isn't quite like the minor league system is or the farm system is in the MLB. Like the G League for me is not used to really develop guys the same way that the minor league system is. So it's pretty much like you either make the NBA roster right out of the draft or you're just kind of left behind. Now you do have the occasional guy that does play really well in the G League and he gets his 10-day contract and he gets to test it out and see if he, what he's made of. But in the MLB, yeah. like you have guys that are actually trying to develop you and you know your journey. You kind of know the direction that you're headed towards. Whereas basketball, I'm not sure it's as clear as it is for the MLB. So that's why I say basketball is more difficult to go pro in, just based off pure numbers and then also 
you don't have like this developmental stage like the MLB does because the MLB at least gives you some time to develop your game. You're not just baptized by fire like you are in some other sports. You're kind of given some time. All right, we're just going to ease you in. But that also has to speak to how difficult baseball is and how hard it is to just transition from high school baseball, one year removed from college, going to the MLB. The skill level jumps dramatically in baseball. So I'm not saying that baseball, of course, is easier. not saying that at all, but – I yeah, that's a whole other conversation point. as far as the absolutely of you the and sport. I touched on that as we, well. Just yeah, we won't gosh. get into that, but no, that's valid. I mean, that's valid. Basketball has a lot fewer spots to get. They don't have the opportunity to go into a minor league system where they're genuinely trying to get that player into the MLB roster kind of thing, right? Like or the NBA roster. Whereas that's you're, you're it's very true, right? Like the ML or the minor league system is designed to fine tune the skill sets of these players that are already really talented to, to get them up to that MLB level. The goal is to get them to the MLB versus the G league is kind of like a reserve spot where they get there. And yeah, like you said, you don't really see that many guys jump from, you know, G league to an NBA roster and actually get to play and stuff like that. It's, it's less common for sure. Um, so, I mean, that's yeah, valid argument. I would say so. Well, Here's another thing. I just thought of this as well. In the MLB, you often see like, prospects either be traded or they're kind of let go put on waivers to potentially put them in a better position on a team you kind of saw it with Tuki Toussaint with the Braves Mm -hmm. like kind of seemed like he hit a wall with them but now he's over at a brand new team potentially opening some new doors for him to finally get on that MLB roster consistently you don't hear about the NBA trading G League players you don't hear nothing about that you don't get traded to another team to earn you a better opportunity there's nothing like that in the NBA whereas the MLB you at least get you. There's a good opportunity for you to kind of jump around. Maybe you get in a farm system where you're not sitting behind a Ronald Acuna and a Michael Harris. If you're Drew Waters, you get to go over to another organization where potentially the door's a bit more open for yourself, where there's a, some more gaps in the roster for you to potentially get that call up that you have long been waiting for in your gruesome process in the minor league system. Because, like we were saying earlier, those guys that are making jack squat and they're playing baseball for their life, they're grinding to make the living that they're waiting for. And it ain't a pretty life either. So no, it's like not. Said, and if you want a, conversation, if you want an insight into that life, right. And you want to actually look into like what it's like to be minor league baseball players, go check out our guy, Cole Wilcox and diamond in the rough podcast. He yes. is in the minor league system himself with the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, and he goes on there with a few other, you know, minor league baseball players. And he interviews people. Actually, I think he just had uh, Kumar rocker, on his show uh, a couple weeks ago, and Kumar Rocker just got drafted, uh, what, number three overall, something like that? I don't remember. He was, I don't think he was the first overall pick. Um, he was third, I think. Third, yeah. So he, he had guys like that on there. They'll tell you what it's like to be on there, and they'll, they'll break down all that kind of stuff for you. So if you're interested in it, that's that's that plug over there. Go check them out, and they'll give you all the information you want to know about the minor speaking league of baseball plugs, system. Speaking of plugs... It is about that time, ladies and gentlemen. That is going to do us do it for the Classic City Podcast crew this week. We will. It's going to kind of be more consistent now. I know in the summertime we were kind of hopping around with when we were recording. wasn't very consistent for you guys, but pretty sure from here on out until the season ends, pretty much, you can pretty much count that Jeremiah will be here Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Hopefully soon in the studio, so you can get rid of whatever Once delay if there comes is. Back anything. to Athens over here. Got to come back to school, but I'm soaking up every last bit of summertime that I can. <laughs> but with that being said, follow us on Twitter if you haven't already, Classic City POD. 
Also, if I need to remind you again, Jeremiah and I have Twitter accounts, but we recently changed our Twitter handles. I'm Dr. Underscore J. Will. And then we got the Stodd Father with an A at the end. No ER stuff with the Stodd Father over here with his Twitter handle as well. So follow us. DM us if you have any um, suggestions for what you want us to talk about. Any topics like that, we always enjoy. And Jeremiah, you can close us out, brother. As always, keep it classy in the classic city and stick around for a minute and check out the new podcast outro. If oh, you yeah. missed the intro, make sure you don't like your fire, then it. your wood's wet. <laughs> so make sure you, you let us know how you feel about it and everything like that. We just got an update on it. But like I said, keep it classy in the classic city. We will catch you guys next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Classic City Sports. Take a second to subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to reach out to the Classic City Sports crew on Twitter with any topics you'd like discussed. You can reach out to Jeremiah at The Stodfather, to Jonathan at Dr. Underscore J. Will, and make sure to follow at Classic City Pod for show updates. Check back next week for a brand new episode. In the meantime... Of the entire Bulldog Nation.